You have your uh, Bibles, if you'll turn to the uh, first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis chapter 5, Genesis chapter 5, we will uh, begin there. Uh, The video that had Steve Farrar, if you noticed, Steve said, these are difficult times that we live in. And I think we can all amen to that that these are troubling times. Our economy is fragile. Our morals are in a free fall. There's an integrity crisis among leadership at all levels in our society. And there's a lack of leadership from the majority of our elected officials locally, statewide, and even on a national level. There's a fear of terrorist attacks from within our nation and also outside our nation. When you look at our country and where we are in these days, it ranges from the abominable to the absurd. We have the abominable of our government supporting with tax dollars an organization that takes baby parts from her mother's womb and sells them to the highest bidder, all the way to the absurd where legislators and school boards debate whether men should be able to use women's restrooms and shower facilities. It just seems the madness grows by leaps and bounds every day. And we ask ourselves, well, how do I keep going in tough times like this? Well, my hope for you today is that we can give you some hope and some encouragement from some obscure verses about an obscure individual. And though this person, there's not much written about him, he lived a very powerful life that speaks to us even today. And so if you have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 5, it is a chapter that starts with genealogies. And oftentimes when you read through the Bible, you get to the genealogy section, you say, oh, I got to cruise control through this thing. And, and you start going through it. And it talks about Adam, you know, and Adam lived so long and then he gave birth to Seth and then, uh, and then Adam died later on and then Seth, uh, he gave birth to a son and it just keeps on going down. And, and it was, it's the same thing. Uh, you know, he's born, they give birth to a child, they lived this many years and then they died. Then that child did this and this. And it goes through and it, it's just flowing until you get to verse 21. And then when you get to verse 21, it's different. In fact, I'm going to go back to verse 18 just to set up 21. It says, and Jared had lived 162 years and he fathered Enoch. And Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years and he died. This is the way it always went on all these verses. But verse 21, it says, but when Enoch had lived 65 years... He fathered Methuselah, and you said, here we go. But then he says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and every other one says, and he died, but not here. It says, and he was not. That was like he was not found. Why is that? For God took him. He didn't die. He walked with God and it says just God took him. There were two things different about Enoch. He's the only one in all the genealogy where it says Enoch walked with God. And he's the only one in all the genealogies that didn't say he died. It just said God took him. You say, well, 
is that just some obscure verse and then no one ever talked about Enoch again? Oh, no. Go all the way to Hebrews chapter 11, New Testament, go to the end. Uh, kind of get over there to maps and go back to your left. So, uh, you know, go back through Revelation, you get back over here, you'll find Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's the hall of fame of faith. And you're listening to all these people that many of you, if you've grown up reading the Bible, you know of them. But then, guess what? Enoch gets inducted into the hall of faith, hall of fame of faith. It says in verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. And now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And then you say, well, how do you please God? It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so God takes Enoch. Now, I need to tell you, he takes Enoch at a relatively young age. Now, I know many of you think that 365 years is a long time to live. And when I sit there and tell you 365, he was just a young pup, you're going, hey, that can't be. Well, if you took the genealogy of the patriarchs that were right before him, the average age of every one of those guys was 919 years. So that was 919 years. He lived to be 365. So if you take the math and you work the uh, percentages, an average age of a man, the lifespan of a man today is like 75 years. So if you took those same statistics, it means that Enoch was like a 30-year-old man. So 30 years old is very young for someone to step out of this world into eternity. But that's what happened. So just at 365, or we can look at it just 30 years of age, it says God took him. Well, when God took him, what were the times like? Well, there is a, um, it's, it's inferred that there's a progression of wickedness that is happening over the earth. Sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve, there in the garden, and then all of a sudden you've got the murder with Cain and Abel, and then all of a sudden sin begins to grow more and more. And it grows to such a point that God is ready to blot out everyone. If you still got your Bibles open to Genesis 5, if you look at Genesis 6, as you're getting ready to be introduced to Noah and to the flood, <clears throat> it says in Genesis 6 verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he'd made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens for I am sorry that I have made them. Wickedness had gotten so bad that God says, I'm going to blot everything out. Just do a, a do-over. Now, Enoch was living during a time before Noah. And there's this progression of wickedness that was going on. And so he is living in some wicked and difficult times. And so he had a son by the name of Methuselah. Then Methuselah had a son by the name of Lamech. And Lamech had a son by the name of of Noah. And when Lamech saw Noah born, look what he says about him in verse 29 of chapter 5. 
It says, and he called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech, understanding that there is wickedness that is happening and we just need somebody to come and bring us some kind of relief. And when his son was born, he names him Noah. It's a word that sounds a lot like rest, to give us a rest, to give us a relief. And so in the midst of all these difficult times, all of a sudden, there's a child that feels like there could be some hope over there. And that maybe God could use his son to bring some relief to all the wickedness. Enoch, during a time of wickedness, was a bright light. And he was one who God pointed out out of all the genealogies. And you've got to understand, when it says you had a son that had many sons and daughters, there could have been all kinds of names God could have pulled out. But he pulled out here Enoch because he walked with God and then God took him. So looking at Enoch, what I want us to do is just see his life and say, what are the things that we can learn from him because he walked during difficult times? How can we do the same thing? I want to give you some points. Number one, the first one is this. That is to embrace the sovereignty of God. The very first thing for us in order to make it through difficult times is to embrace the sovereignty of God. You can read chapter five and you can get lulled into the sameness. And and you just start reading it. Adam to Seth, Seth to Enosh, Enosh to Canaan, Canaan to Mahaliel to Jared to Enoch. And you're just going right through this. And then all of a sudden, when you read it and you get to verse 21, whoa, something different. And Enoch walked with God. Hey, I hadn't seen that. And not only that, but he, he interrupts that genealogy and he begins to point out something special. And he says, this one man, Enoch, is a guy who walked with God. And then it says that God stepped in and he took Enoch and he brought him home. This has never happened before. Everybody was born, they died. They born, they died. They born, reproduced another generation, then they died. They born, reproduced another generation, they died. Enoch, he was born, he walked with God. And then after 365 years, God just took him home. You know, when, I, when you see that, what God is letting you know early on, in the midst of a genealogy, I got a plan, I got a purpose, I'm in control. And all of a sudden you read this and you say, you know, God's up to something. And God says, listen, things may be going in a terrible direction, but I got this. I'm sovereign. I'm in control. And I can even do something out of the ordinary, which is exactly what he did to Enoch. During these crazy times, we need to embrace the sovereignty of God. And by that, have a hope. Uh, I I love to listen to Alistair Begg. Uh, He's the senior pastor in Cleveland, Ohio, but he doesn't speak with a northern accent. Uh, You know, he's from, I think, Scotland or Ireland or one of those places. Got a great brogue and just a great, great preacher. I got an email that he sends out. And and near the end of the email, he was talking about the times that we live in. And at the very end of it, he made this statement. He says, but with you, my readers, I affirm that providence, you could say the sovereignty of God, is a soft pillow that we may lie down in safety, knowing that God is in control. God's sovereignty is like a soft pillow that we can lay in safety, knowing 
that God is in control. Listen, the world is, is warring all around us. And there are things that we're to do as believers and as citizens, and, uh, and those are innumerable. We can talk about those on and on. But in the midst of everything, we need to always remember about the sovereignty of God and that I can rest and assured that God is in control and things have not spiraled out of control to where he has no say in it or it is taken him by surprise. Number one, embrace the sovereignty of God. But number two, walk with God. This is what came out of Enoch's life. This is what the, the, the writer of the scripture pointed out is that he walked with God. That word walk is a word that means to walk back and forth. It means it's a lifestyle that's characterized by devotion to God. There's an intimacy with God. You walk with God, it means I'm traveling with him all the time. We walk this way, now all of a sudden we're going to be walking this other way. We walk back and forth. We have an intimacy. There's a devotion. Uh, there's, a, there's communication. There's a communion with God. And he says Enoch was one that had this communion with God. And so in the midst of a wicked age, Enoch lived a dedicated life. And though he could have been pulled different ways, he made the conscious decision to walk with God. But now here's the thing that's really interesting about this. <clears throat> he didn't always walk with God. First 65 years of his life, it seems like he didn't walk with God. If you look closely at this verse, there was some occasion, significant event that triggered this walk with God. And look where it says, Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. After he fathered Methuselah. So all of this walk with God took place after a significant event in his life. It was the birth of his child. And you see, it could be that this significant event, this seeing new life come, this amazing birth, and when he saw the birth of that first child, it's like there was an awakening that took place in his spirit. And he was brought closer to God and says, I'm going to walk with God. Now, this speaks to all of us because God speaks to us through significant events that happen in our lives. And it could be the birth of a child. It could be on the back, on, a, on the kind of the flip side, it could be the illness that you may have. It could be the death of a family member or a friend. Something significant that kind of shakes you at your core. I heard a speaker this week that, that in sharing and talking uh, to a large group, he said, you know, six months ago, my dad died. And, um, and it, it's sort of a pivotal event for me because, you know, I realized that my grandfather's died, my father's died, I'm the oldest son, it's like I'm next in line. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he said, it makes me begin to question, what is my life all about? What, what am I doing? And you see, it's these kind of significant events that happen and many times will awaken us to have this walk with God. And it seems like that at this, this is the uh, event. After Methuselah was born, he began to walk with God. And so, um, you know, you, you probably read the statistics and heard a lot of people say that there is this trend of... Uh, church-going teenagers that as soon as they leave high school and they go to college, that they drop out of church. And there are a lot of statistics that show that they turn their back on the church and, and, uh, and are not getting back involved in the church. 
But the flip side of the research is showing that when people get married and have their first child, they find themselves coming back to church. And you're seeing more and more that when a child is born, they begin to come back to church. And even those who have really not had anything to do with church, when a child is born into their family, it's like they begin to test the waters to see what this church thing is all about. And you begin to see people investigating the church. It's a significant event. And so when you think about Enoch, it says he walked with God after the birth of his son. There was a significant event that sort of kick-started this walk in his life. But when he started doing this walk, how could you describe his walk? I think you can describe his walk three ways. Number one, it's continuous. His walk was continuous. It says that after Enoch was born, he began to walk with God. And then it says it was for 300 years, but then look what he says before he got taken up. And it says all of his days were 365 years, and then Enoch walked with God and he was not, which meant that after the child was born, he continued to walk with God. Now, I've been in ministry long enough to know significant events happen in people's lives, and they come rushing back to the church, and they're going to sit on the second row or the front row and say, I'm all over this. Man, God got a hold of me. There was an illness here, or I had a near-death experience, or, or the birth of a child, or some answered prayer, and it doesn't last very long. It may be a few months, and then all of a sudden, they've sort of stepped away. But for Enoch, it was different. You see, for Enoch... It stuck. And he continued to walk the next 300 years walking with God. His walk with God was continuous. Second of all, it was countercultural. It was countercultural. During that day, with wickedness on the increase, walking with God was not something that you saw happen very often. In fact, it was pointed out that it seemed to be a rarity the fact that he pointed it out in one man by the name of Enoch. It was countercultural. And we talked about at Easter that, um, that the whole gospel is counterculture. It's like opposite. And so he was walking a life that was opposite of his culture. And for us as believers to be able to go through tough times, we need to walk with God. We walk with him even though it will be countercultural. The message that we have is getting, is getting diluted by the the rise of secularism, materialism, hedonism, all of this is, is competing with the message of Christ. But we as believers need to walk continuously and counterculturally and say, I'm going to continue to do the things that God has called me to do and to understand that there's victory through surrender. There's greatness through servanthood. There's strength in humility. And so I'm going to continue to do that walk. I'm not going to do what culture tells me to do. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto me. You see, the way that you're going to make it through the tough times is you take that walk with God, and it's a continuous walk, and it's countercultural, but also at times it's going to be confrontational. It's going to be confrontational. If you turn to the book of Jude, if you could find Hebrews, you can definitely find Jude. Just keep turning back to the right a little bit. And you turn back to the book of Jude, it's only one chapter. And in this book, in, in Jude, in verses 14 and 15, the writer is quoting a writing of Enoch. And it says in verses 14 and 15, 
He said it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying. Now, he took this from a book of Enoch, which is is the writings and and, uh, prophecies or teachings of Enoch, and he's quoting this source. But look what he says. He says, behold, the Lord came with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Was there a word that jumped out at you in there? Anybody tell me? What word? Yeah, ungodly. He kind of used that a lot. Used that a whole lot right there. In verse 15, one more time. To execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness and that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I think Enoch had a theme. And he was writing this and saying this. And so most people would take that and say, this was his life. This is what he, when he was doing his walk with God, he was confronting the ungodly. And he was saying, what you're doing is wrong in the eyes of God. And so he walked with God. He was continually walking with him. It was a little bit, it was countercultural. But at the same time, he had to be confrontational. And there are times as believers that we need to be confrontational. We got to, if it's sin, it's sin. And we got to speak up and tell the world. And you do this in love. You're not out to pick a fight. You just stand up for what God's word says. And when you stand up for his word, you end up saying, hey, i got to call sin or sin. I've got to stand up and say, I know I think the rest of you think that this is right, but according to God's word, this is wrong. And, and I've got to stand. And wouldn't it be nice to see more of that happen today? And, and at times we, we wish our politicians would, would make a stand. We, we wish our leaders would make a stand. And, and it's easy to sit in our, in our dens and watch TV and cast stones at those guys and gals as I wish they'd stand stronger on this. But then I have to kind of point it back to me and say, every day at work, every day at school, am I being one to stand strong for God? Am I making the stands for Christ in my daily walk? And for Enoch, he did. His walk was continuous. It was countercultural. But at times, it was also confrontational. So how do you make it through the tough time? You embrace the sovereignty of God. You walk with God. But let me tell you the third one. That is you rest on the faithfulness of God. Rest on the faithfulness of God. Now, Hebrews 11. If you look at Hebrews 11... In Hebrews 11.5, it gives us a little bit more insight into Enoch because it says here, by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. All right, now look at that. I said before he was taken, they said, you have pleased God. That's good. How did he please God? What did he do to please God? Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, I'm going to use a little, little, little bit of logic here. Without faith, you can't please him. He did please him. So what does that say? He had what? He had faith. 
And he says, for whoever draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So what he did was Enoch was a man of faith. And he rested on the faithfulness of God. That to me is one of the uh, definitions of faith. Faith is resting on the faithfulness of God. Your faith is not in your actions. It's not in things you do. Your faith is in the object of the faith, which is God himself. So what faith is, is you rest on the faithfulness of God. Resting on the fact that you believe in God's promises. You believe in who he is. You believe in what he says he will do. And guess what will happen? The more you walk with God, the more you understand the character of God. The more you understand the character of God, the more you can step out on faith to live with God. Because I'm resting on the faithfulness of God. How can I rest on the faithfulness of God? Because I know his character and I trust his character. If I trust his character, then I can rest on that. Well, how do you learn to trust his character? You gotta walk with him. Back and forth every day, walk with God. Enoch was in perilous times and he took this walk with God and he walked with him every day and he rested on the faithfulness of God and because he could rest on the faithfulness of God, the scripture says he pleased God. He pleased God, resting on the faithfulness of God. It was a song that I had heard this week by uh, Ryan Stevenson, and it's called The Eye of the Storm. It's a great song to help us to understand a little bit more about just God in control and being able to rest on him. He says, in the eye of the storm, you, God, remain in control. And in the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are my anchor when my sails are torn, your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. When the solid ground is falling out from beneath my feet, between the black skies and my red eyes, I can barely see. And when I realize I've been sold out by my friends and my family, you alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. When my hopes and dreams are far from me and I'm running out of faith, I see the future that I picture slowly fade away. And when the tears of pain and heartache are falling down my face, I find my peace in Jesus' name. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, you guard my soul. You alone are the anchor when my sails are torn. Your love surrounds me in the eye of the storm. That is resting on the faithfulness of God in the midst of the storm. We live in stormy times. And we need to learn to be able to rest in the faithfulness of God and to know that he's going to guard us, protect us, and be our anchor even when the sails are torn. Let me tell you number four about Enoch. Leave a godly legacy. Leave a godly legacy. Now, when you read this insertion of Enoch walking with God, and let me just ask you this. If you were reading through that, and you read through, you know, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 12, 14, 18, 20, verse 21. When you read verse 21 and it says, and Enoch walked with God. And then he comes up and says, and God took him. My first thought is, God is up to something here. 
something, I need to make note of this. Something special just happened here in, the, in these verses right here. God is up to something. And I, I need to pay attention to this because this man walked with God and then it says that God took him. So what is it that God's up to? All right, so I'm going to go a little bit further. All right, Enoch had a son. His name was Methuselah, okay? All right, and then Methuselah had a son and his name was Lamech. Lamech was Noah's grandson. And for a hundred years of Lamech's life, Enoch was alive. So he was able to pour into Methuselah's life. And then Methuselah was able to pour into his son's life, which was Lamech. But Enoch had a hundred years that he could pour into Lamech. And then Lamech had a son by the name of Noah. Now Enoch had been dead 69 years before Noah was born. And when you look at the life of Noah, it says, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Where did Noah, where did Noah get this desire for God, this love for God that was so opposite of everyone else at that time? Well, I think his dad, Lamech, poured into him. And I think his dad got poured into him because his dad, Methuselah, poured into him. And I think both of them, Methuselah and Lamech, were poured into by Enoch. And if I had to be poured in by someone, I think I'd want Enoch, the guy who walked with God. The guy who was counter-cultural. He was the dad that was pouring into the son. And then when the grandson was born, guess what he did? A hundred years of his life, he's walking with God and he's pouring into a grandson. And that grandson ended up having a child who was Noah, who found favor in the eyes of God. I would say that Enoch left an incredible legacy. And let me tell you where I'm going on this. You cannot control the times that you live in, but you can control the legacy that you want to leave with your family, with your friends, and your business associates. Now, you got options. You can whine and complain about how bad things are or this election didn't go this way or this didn't go my way or I don't like what they did over here. I don't like it over there. And you can just be a whiny wuss your whole life. And that's the legacy that you will leave. Or you could be someone who says, I don't like the direction things are going, but I'm going to continue to live for God. And I'm going to continue to leave a legacy for others of what it means for a man, for a woman, to be a strong follower of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple who sold out, who truly seeks first the kingdom of God, and I'm going to walk with God. And I'm going to do that my whole life. And one day when I die, my hope and prayer is that when he gets to the funeral and people stand up and they say, he was a godly man, she was a godly woman, everyone else sitting around there is going to be nodding their head saying, yeah, that's exactly right. And the ones that's going to be nodding their head the most is going to be the sons and the daughters and the grandchildren. Because they're going to say, that's the way, Maul, Maul, Paul, Paul, whatever name you want to get. That was it. That was the way they lived their life. And you leave that legacy. You get to make that choice. You're in total control of that. So don't give me any of this stuff where, oh, I just, I just feel so everything's out of control. Hey, let me tell you what you control. You control your legacy. You control it. Enoch controlled his. He walked with God. 
and look at the impact that he had. Where's, where's Michael? Where's Adler? Where are you? Ah, it was over here. Hey, you're fooling me, big guy. Salvation Army. Was that your grandfather? Hi. Michael Adler's grandfather, big in Salvation Army. Anytime you hear Michael just tell a little bit of his story, he always goes back to Salvation Army roots. And what did that do? That brought a love of music and a love of people and evangelism for him. And then your brother, I mean, that's what he does. He, he's, he's for the down and out, the, the disheartened, the disenfranchised. He's poured his life into them. That comes back from a grandfather who poured into his father, who in turn poured into Michael. It's the legacy. And so in the midst of these tough times, I, I just love this point because I can get really frustrated on things and feel like things are just spiraling out of control. I need to stop for just a moment and realize, you know what? I can't control my legacy. And that's what God's asking me to do. Live for him, okay? Live for him, Danny. And that when that day comes when you step out from this world, you've got a legacy that you could live that could build on others. And you know what? You have absolutely no idea that your legacy could be the foundation for the next great leader that God uses to advance his kingdom. Can you see that? Noah found favor in the eyes of God, great-grandson of Enoch. And last of all is this, hold on to the knowledge that one day you'll go to be with God. Hold on to the knowledge that one day you will go to be with God. Hold on to that. Don't lose it. I'm not just saying everything's just a sweet by and by. I'm saying it is a reality that if you have trusted in Christ as Savior, that when you step out of this world, you're not going to get an Enoch moment to where you're going to miss death, most likely, unless the second coming happens. But we will pass through, we'll hit death, and we move into eternity. In Hebrews 11.5, it says that Enoch was taken from this life. It is a phrasing that means carried over or carried across. All I can think about is that, you know, like when you've got a child and, and, and uh, maybe there's a big puddle here or there's a, a crevice here and, and, and they can't step over it, but you can. So you pick up your child, you step over, and you just carry them over. What God did was he took Enoch and they're walking along. And while they're walking, he says, I tell you what, why don't you just come on home with me today? Okay. And so he picks him up and he just carries him over. And now he's in the presence of God. And one day that is going to happen. And when you read Genesis 5, among the dismal reports of he lived, he reproduced, he died. He lived, he reproduced, he died. He died, he died. All of a sudden, God gives us a glimpse of hope that man was created to live a life that comes by walking with God. And God lets us know that he has the power over life and death. And that if he wants to pull this man out without him seeing death, he can do that. And if his son is sent to this earth to die on a cross and to be buried in a tomb. And if three days later, Jesus wants to take his son and pull him up and say, you're alive again, raise him from the dead. He says, I can do that. And this same God is the one that says, I can give you forgiveness of your sins. I can give you a life to live for, a purpose to live for throughout your life here. And one day when you take your last breath, I'm going to pick you up, I'm going to carry you over and spend eternity in heaven. Now, here's where I got so convicted in this story. Enoch had no idea 
about life after death. Why would he? He had no idea that there was life after death. But he walked with God. We have the New Testament. We know about the cross. We know about the death of Christ. We know about the empty tomb. We know about the resurrection. We know about the ascension. And that God has conquered death and conquered sin. And yet Enoch is a man who would walk with God without any of that knowledge. And yet you and I, with all of this knowledge, refuse to walk with him. Refuse to do the day-by-day, continuous, countercultural, confrontational walk with God. Wow. See, Enoch went up even higher on my list of heroes. Because he didn't know what all we know. But all he did know was he was going to walk with God. And he rested on the faithfulness of God and he pleased God. May we be a people that will walk with God, knowing all that we know. Wow, we need to do this. I remember when I was uh, about 14 years old, my dad took us on a trip uh, up to, um, actually to Montreal, Canada. I think it was Expo 67. It was like a world's fair. Uh, And even today, I have no idea why my dad did this. Uh, This was like so out of it just made no sense. I, I mean, I'm, I'm befuddled even as I stand here and tell the story uh, that he took my mom and my, my sister and myself and we, we drove all the way up to Montreal, Canada. And one of the stops was Niagara Falls. And uh, it really is amazing. And so we go to Niagara Falls and, and you've got the American side and you've also got the Canadian side. And you stand over there at Horseshoe Falls and the Niagara River runs in and then all of a sudden it drops 180 feet around this Horseshoe Falls. And it's powerful and it's, it's, it's amazing. It's an incredible sight. And, and so I, I really got into reading about Niagara Falls, wanting to learn about the guys that got in the barrels and went over there, you know. Not that I was going to do that, but, uh, but just to see all the things that happened. And, and I remember reading a story uh, a while back that talked about how the Niagara River is what goes into the falls. And then further up in Ontario, there's a river called the Welland River. And the Welland River will run until it hits the Niagara River. And as you look up and you see the falls and you keep walking back, the water's really, really choppy and it's getting choppy, choppy, choppy until finally you get to that point where Welland runs into Niagara and it's kind of smooth, Welland is, but then as it begins to hit the Niagara, it begins to get a little bit choppy. And, uh, and the story that I read said there was a pedestrian bridge that went across there, about right where those rivers came in and right where it started getting a little choppy and it make you a little nervous if you you know, started going down that way. And on the pontoons on the side of the bridge, there was a sign. And it says to the people that were in a boat, do you have an anchor? And then below that sign, it says, do you know how to use it? (laughs) Do you have an anchor? Do you know how to use it? It's kind of scary stuff. And we are in troubling times. Choppy waters, dangerous times. And the question, do you have an anchor? And for most of us, we could say, yes, I do. I've, I've, I've made a decision. I've received Christ as Savior. I've got this relationship with, with, with God. 
okay? Let me ask you this question. Do you know how to use it? Because just the fact that you say, hey, I've made that decision, are you walking with him? And a lot of us feel like we're doing good because we got the anchor in the boat. But what I'm saying, if we don't know how to use that anchor, it doesn't do us a lot of good when we start getting turbulent times. Be like Enoch. And Enoch was one, was one that walked with God continuously. He walked with him counterculturally. And he walked with him even confrontationally. But when he did that, he was able to rest on the faithfulness of God. And in the midst of a turbulent time, he had an anchor. And he knew how to use the anchor. And you know what? God honored that. He honored that because he took him and he brought him into heaven with him. But to me, even greater, he honored it because he left an incredible legacy to one of the great heroes of all the faith of Noah, to where God looked at him and saw favor in him. May we be a people that walk with God and leave a great legacy for others. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Father, thank you for this day. And I thank you for your word and for what we can learn as we read through it and study these men of the Scripture. Father, we are in troubling times. And uh, we as a church should be reminded that we are to be on our knees praying to you and praying for our nation, praying for our world. And yet in the midst of that, we have an individual responsibility, and that is to continue to walk with you. And so it's my prayer, Lord, that today, that each one of us will check our boat and figure out, do we have that anchor? And Lord, if there's some here today who says, man, I've got no anchor. Uh, I, don't, I don't have God in my life at all. I pray that today you'd grab a heart of their heart, a part of their heart, and bring them close to you. And for others, Lord, that are here that say, yeah, I've got an anchor. It's in the boat. But I tell you, I really haven't used it in quite a while. May this be a wake-up call to each one of us to say, Lord, I want to be walking with you. I want to be able to rest on the faithfulness of God as we go through turbulent times. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.